Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, looking at our two readings side by side, the reading from the Acts of the Apostles and the reading from the Gospel according to John, in many ways you have two men that are the focus of the readings who have some similarities and who have some differences. You have Jesus in John chapter 14, and you've got Paul in Acts chapter 14. And Jesus is toward the end of his earthly ministry. If you know anything about those latter chapters of John's Gospel, it's when Jesus is in the upper room. He's going to be dead in less than 24 hours. And so it is the end of his earthly ministry before he rises again. And then you've got Paul, on the other hand, that in Acts chapter 14 is at the beginning of his ministry. In fact, if you look at Acts 13, it's when he and Barnabas were called and commissioned and sent out. So he's at the very beginning of his ministry, so he probably has 25 more years worth of ministry, almost as long as Jesus, in fact, lived and walked the face of the earth. And so you've got two men in two different places. Jesus, at one point, would be considered a rising star, he was descending. Paul, at one point, was a rising star. In fact, if you know his background, he was a Pharisee. He was probably heading towards the Sanhedrin. And if you look in Philippians chapter 3, he had all the right pedigree, all the right education, heritage, background. He was the perfect man for the position of ascending to become part of the Sanhedrin, possibly even high priest. You know, and my guess is at that time that he also had quite an ego. You know, some of you might not know this, but when some clergy come out of seminary, they are so full of themselves. You know, ready to take on the world. We know everything. And then we're struck with reality. Well, that's probably in many ways where Paul was. In fact, we're told right before his conversion, he was zealous for Judaism. He was persecuting the church. He had that right out of school zeal. I'm ready to take on the world and conquer the world. And then he got, you know where this phrase comes from, he got knocked off his high horse. When he was on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, he got knocked off his horse. And he had his conversion experience. And then in many ways, he disappeared for about eight years. And he probably, during that eight-year period, relearned the Scriptures with Jesus in mind as the Messiah. Relearned the Scriptures from legalism to understanding what the law was about in guiding us in terms of what commitment to Jesus Christ looked like. And how we live that faith out in our lives. 
and what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. So that's where Paul is. He's now emerging. He's now called to take this out into the world. And this is one of his early experiences in doing that. But what Jesus and Paul shared in common was they both were looking for people to come to faith. They both were looking for people who would allow the kingdom of God to break into their hearts and break into their lives. That they would experience a transformation. And they were both, at this point in time, for both of them, filled with humility. Because if you know the life and ministry of Jesus, when he's in the upper room, he has just served and preached and taught for three years. He brought healing to people. And then in the upper room, he washes feet and he's about to go to the cross. He emptied himself, as we're told, when he was born in the first place amongst us. And he's about to empty himself again by dying on the cross in our place for our sin. And then you've got Paul. Paul who, in the midst of this ministry that he's doing, he's preaching and teaching, he heals a lame man. And everybody says, the gods have come among us. Now, a few years ago, he might have said, well, yeah. Not now. Now, he says, you misunderstand why I'm here and what I'm doing. And I want you to understand what I'm about. I'm about you coming to faith. I'm about you understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ about you understanding that He died on a cross for you. And that He wants a transformed life for you. So that's where we are in these two readings. But what we see from this point on in terms of that humility that Paul's already beginning to experience, if you know the story of Paul as it unfolds, his humility actually grows. He becomes more and more emptied of himself just like Jesus. He starts off his letters early on, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then later in his ministry, Paul, the least of the apostles. And then you get to later on in his ministries as the letters unfold, as the years progress, Paul, a sinner. And then you get to, to Timothy toward the end of his life, and Paul says, I'm the foremost, I'm the chief of sinners. And he became more and more aware of his need for Christ and the Holy Spirit more aware of his clay feet, not more full of himself as oftentimes happens, but more aware of his weakness and his need for Jesus Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit every day. Paul continues to grow from this point. And it's wonderful to watch the Lord move in him. But what he looked for throughout his life, just like Jesus, was faith in the people to whom he was reaching so that they would come to know this saving faith and have their lives transformed. And that's what you see in this reading in Acts chapter 14, right at the beginning of Paul's ministry. What does it say about this man that he heals? That Paul looked at him and, quote, saw that he had faith to be healed. Paul was always looking for faith. 
but faith also to be healed. Now, I know there's, when you hear things like that, our minds can go in a lot of different directions because of what we've heard and seen about praying for people who would be healed. And sometimes we misunderstand that faith to be healed because what we do oftentimes is we make faith a work. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If I just have enough faith, if I just work myself up enough and have enough faith, this person will be healed. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The nature of a miracle, in fact, is that miracles happen only once in a while. If they happened every time you prayed, it wouldn't be a miracle. Right? We call it supernatural for a reason. The natural is what normally takes place. The supernatural is the miraculous. And we don't know exactly how and when God decides to bring healing, but we know why He does it. He does it either to bring faith or to grow faith. That's why. He does it so the person who experiences the miracle understands this is about your growth in the knowledge and love of the Lord, not just God doing your whim what you want, when you want. And what we see in Jesus' ministry is that he too would heal lame people, in fact, on more than one occasion. John chapter 5, when the paralytic was dropped through the roof. We could go on and on as to how many times Jesus healed the lame. In fact, when John the Baptist said to his disciples when he was in prison, go and talk to Jesus, make sure he's the Messiah... And Jesus says, well, what do you see? You see the fulfilling of Isaiah, and one of the fulfillments of Isaiah is healing the lame. So what Jesus is saying is the messianic kingdom breaks in when you see things like this, miracles like this. And then when the apostles, when Jesus ascends and the apostles begin their ministry, you see in Acts chapter 3, first and foremost, Peter and John healing a lame man at the beginning of their ministry. And then you go to Acts chapter 14, and the beginning of Paul's ministry, you see the same thing, he heals a lame man. So what is happening over and over again is this confirmation of the kingdom. The Messiah has come to the world. And one of the signs that he can, in fact, forgive sins, that he can, in fact, bring eternal life and transformation of your life, is that he heals the lame. Understand. That's what's going on here. So when Paul sees that glimmer of faith, he wants to bring this man to faith. He wants to see him healed. He wants to see him transformed. And so he heals this man who was lame. See, if you know the story of Jesus, Jesus at one time when he was in his hometown, Mark chapter 6, we are told, quote, he could do no miracle there except to heal a few people. Why? Because in his hometown, people were not inclined to believe in him. And the point of this faith, of looking for the faith to bring the healing, is about bringing faith into people's lives or bringing growth of faith and transformation of life. That's the point. So that's what Paul sees in this man. So he brings healing to this man. Then what happens next? The crowd goes crazy. That's what happens next. The crowd goes crazy. We have the gods amongst us. 
little g gods. Now, what are gods? I mean, we don't see them too often in our day and age. You know, the little statues made of wood and stone. We don't see those too often today because I think we misunderstand little g gods in our lives. Because a god is something that you worship. And think about all the different things in our lives that we worship. That is, which becomes the focus of our lives apart from God. That becomes a little g god. And it doesn't have to be made of wood and stone. There are people that become little g gods in our lives. There are activities. There are possessions. There are lifestyles. There is success. There's so many things that, be, that can become little g gods in our lives that ultimately we become the focus. We become the focus, not the Lord. Now, I don't know how many of you saw the paper this morning. This was so perfect. I just love when this happens. The front page, American Idol, Candace Glover, dazzles the town. Did anybody go on to read just below what it says? Fans worship their idol. Wasn't that perfect? I mean, if you look at the sermon outline in your bulletin, you know I was going to talk about this today. And I really appreciate the way the Lord worked this out for me. Isn't it interesting? And it's interesting also what one person says that kind of tips it off as to sometimes why we're so enamored with things like American Idol. I feel like she's living my dream, said one of the fans. That's what I want for me. See, because really life is supposed to be all about me, isn't it? You know what Candace Glover what the rest of the article talks about, how committed she is to family. How when she went to a gathering, the first thing they did was they prayed. And then they went on to sing, What a Mighty God We Serve. She knows. She knows how God intends for us to be. As much as she, in some people's mind, has become an idol, she knows in her own mind, it's not about me. And how often, really, when we start worshiping these little g-gods in our lives, it really is all about me, right? We even have a phrase that fits that. Because we want the people around us to serve us, to do what we want them to do, to make us feel good about ourselves. Instead of the opposite. Because after all, it's all about me. We want people to affirm us, encourage us, support us, but not criticize or challenge us, not hold us accountable. My goodness. See, because we want to be the little G God. We want to be the American idol. God kind of took care of that in the first commandment. I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And we sometimes forget what is the most basic of our faith. And that's why Paul said, you're missing the point. You're putting your focus on us. We are not meant to be the focus. 
You want to worship us and lift us up? You're missing that we want to point to Jesus Christ and what He wants to do in your life. In other words, Paul is saying, we want to bring you the gospel. Because you even have in that phrase, good news. We're here to bring you the good news. It's the same word as gospel. We want you to understand who Jesus is and why Jesus came. That's why we're here. We want you to begin to establish a relationship with God that's going to change your life. That's why we're here. Don't misunderstand. This is not about us. It's not all about me. It's about the Lord. Breaking into your world, changing your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says about everything else. He said it is worthless. Because everything else in this world is passing away. Everything that you might worship now is passing away if it's not the Lord. And that's why he is, as Scripture says, the one worthy of our praise. The one that we are meant to lift up. The one that we are meant to to focus on. The one that is meant to be the transformation of our lives and change us. That's the way it's meant to be. You know, so often though, we compromise. And we begin to seek these other gods. Why? You know, oftentimes it's just because of peer pressure. It's just because of what the world says or society thinks. Do you realize that? You know, I don't know how many times this past week as I was listening to various news broadcasts or I was watching different things on TV that I was so much as told that because I believe in Jesus Christ or because I stand on the Word of God and believe what it says, and therefore I differ from society on different points, that I'm ignorant, that I'm uneducated, that I'm narrow-minded. You beginning to pick this up? That there is peer pressure in the world today to conform. And it takes our eyes away from the We begin to worship these small G-gods because we're concerned about our own reputation. And ultimately then, guess who becomes the small G-god? We do. Because we want the affirmation of people. Because we don't want to suffer. We don't want to experience rejection. And what were Paul and Jesus willing to do? They were willing to face persecution for the sake of the gospel. Opposition. Hatred torture, even being killed for the sake of the gospel because they were so committed to the Lord above. And they were so committed out of love to reach other people for the sake of the King. Understand, the mindset of the world is more comfortable with the small g-gods. More comfortable with the mindset, it's all about me. As long as it's all about me doesn't offend, it's all about you. You know, if you were to take this scene out of Acts chapter 14, and you had a before and after picture. See, you don't have the after picture because the reading ends at 
verse 18. But we'll get to that in a second. The before picture. Paul and Barnabas come to town. They proclaim the gospel. They bring healing. All of a sudden, they are rising stars. And by the way, if you caught what they said, Barnabas is Zeus. Isn't that interesting? Barnabas is the head of the gods. And you know why I think that is? In your imagination, I want you to picture in your imagination, Barnabas was actually on board with the gospel probably as early as Pentecost. Because in Acts chapter 3, we read of Barnabas, whose name, by the way, means son of encouragement. So what I picture in my mind about Barnabas, Barnabas looks like Santa Claus. Okay, he's got the white beard and he's got the white hair and he's standing in the background. He's this big guy who loves to hug people and, and he's there with his new student, Paul, who's out there preaching and he's just this proud guy standing there and Paul looks like he's the messenger. That's how I picture Barnabas, this big huggy bear. Okay, so he's the strong, silent type behind the scenes. And then you've got Paul. And you know what Paul is called? Did you catch what Paul's called there? Hermes. Now see, I don't know if any of you know that your mythology, but do you know who Hermes is? You see Hermes' picture all the time, by the way. You know where? FTD Flowers. He's the one, you know, bringing the flowers. Right? He's the messenger. And the good news that he's bringing are flowers. Because you're wonderful. So here's what they're saying. You've got Zeus and you've got Hermes. You've got Zeus, who's the king of the gods. He's standing behind there just waiting to see what happens. And Hermes is delivering the message. And Paul's saying, no, you got it wrong. So then what happens? They're beginning to wrestle amongst themselves. And there's a little bit of discontentment. Then you have to read, and you don't have to look there. I'll tell you what it says. But you have to read the next two verses. Let me read it to you. Okay, so the, the verse 18 ends with, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. So there's this little dispute. They're saying, okay, are they really gods? Are they not gods? What, what are these two really all about? Stay tuned. But Jews came there from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowds. In other words, those people were against what Paul was saying. Then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. How quickly we change. How quickly we change. Jesus on Palm Sunday was celebrated, on Good Friday was crucified. Just minutes earlier, these people were talking about gods, and then these Jews come, turn them against them, and they stone them. How quickly we can change when we're enamored by the world, when we want to be popular with people. How the little G God creeps into our lives and draws us away from the Lord. It can happen so fast. Now listen to what Paul does. This is the after picture. But when the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city. Now is that what you would do? You just got stoned. The goal of stoning, by the way, is killing you. They're presuming that he's dead, which is why they let him alone. And all the disciples are standing around and saying, oh, poor Paul, he's probably dead. He gets up and he goes back into the city. I guarantee you if I was standing next to Paul, I'd say, one of them hit him in the head. See, that's not it. He was so sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He was so giving, given over to serving the Lord and serving even people who would persecute him. Just as Jesus would say for the, from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But Paul was committed to getting the gospel out. And then it says from there, the next day he went with Barnabas to Derby. In other words, I'm not done yet. This is not going to dissuade me. Now the question is, the question is, do you know this kind of commitment to the Lord? Do you know this kind of faith? Do you know what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in your heart and in your life? If you allow God really to become the center, the focus, the one you really worship, with the whole of your being because that's what he's about and that's what he wants for you and from you and it's this humility the emptying of oneself and the filling of the Lord that allows this to happen now we began this discussion by talking about Paul and Jesus both healing a lame person and the reality is all of us at one point in our lives and we may be now crippled you know what oftentimes cripples us is the sin in our lives. Because we allow it to creep in and draw us away from the Lord, and we become lame when it comes to our faith and our commitment. That we're crippled by peer pressure, the temptations of the world, what people would have us do, how people would have us live, how people would have us believe so that we don't bother them, so that we don't reach out with the gospel to them so that the gospel doesn't change our lives, so that we're different than the world. And we become crippled. And what Jesus is looking for in us is that same glimmer of faith. That same glimmer of faith so that He can touch our hearts and heal us change our lives so that we become people who praise the Lord and live for Him. That's what He's after. That's what He wants for us. That glimmer of faith. What God do you worship? Who is at the center of your life? Are you crippled by sin, by peer pressure, by the temptations and trials of the world, your own need? What's crippling you? Because Jesus wants to take that glimmer of faith and change your life and use you to touch other lives. Now we're about to share in a baptism of little Sophia. And by the way, the name Sophia means wisdom, and her middle name's Grace. What a great thought. That what this baptism is all about is really commitment to Christ and being sold out to Him. Listen to the words. Listen to what we promise. Listen to the prayers. And exercise wisdom and experience God's grace as we renew our commitment to Him being the only God in our life.
Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, as I consider Candace Glover and what she's going through right now, and the way she's handling it, still keeping her faith and her family at the center of her life, even as people gush over her, even as people want her to conform to a certain image, the American idol. And she chooses to worship you. Lord, I pray this day that as we consider the idols around us, and even the idol of self-centeredness, of it's all about me, even amidst the lameness and how crippled we are because of sin and peer pressure and the temptations of the world. Lord, that we would have that glimmer of faith that you look into our hearts and that you see, that you bring healing to our souls and you become the focus of our lives and that we become transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and live for you and seek to bring others to you. Lord, I pray that as we go through this baptismal service that we might renew our commitment to you being the one that we worship with the whole of our lives, the whole of our being. And we pray this in Jesus' name.